Please be seated. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Psalm 110, we're going to read it again. And what we've been doing is uh, looking at basic Christianity taught to us from Psalm 110, and you, you'll, find, you'll find all of the Apostles' Creed, just the, the core of our faith, packed into these seven verses. And today's big idea is, is simple. It's in verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not change His mind, which means when we read the Scripture, we're reading God's Word, speaking to us, uh, and it is a trustworthy word. It's, it's reliable, it's sure. And so let's, let's read the passage and we'll dive in. Hear the word of our God. A Psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion rule in the midst of... Oh, the Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook, by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. And this is God's word. It is true and trustworthy and revealed, given to us in love. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we come full of sorrows and struggles and sins. And in the midst of a changing world, we need an anchor for our soul. We need the certainty and assurance of the gospel message. So send your spirit to do that, to show us Jesus the one who shows us that you do not change your mind and that all your promises are yes in him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, every week, my job is, as part of the job description, right, is to open up the scriptures and to convince you that God is true and trustworthy, who keeps his promises in a world where, um, well, truth is not trusted. It's becoming, uh, we talked about it in Sunday school this morning, of just, it's hard to know who to trust these days, or what words you can trust. And you go, you go out into the world, and it's really interesting, there, there was this Pew, Pew survey done recently uh, evaluating who do we trust as Americans. And so there's good news for people like me as pastors. Um, we are more trustworthy than members of Congress. <laughs> <laughs> and tech leaders, right? But we're lower than high school principals, public school principals. We're lower than journalists. Uh, we're lower than, um, yeah, we're lower than the military and police. And so, it, you know, it's with great irony that, that the job description is to say this is true. Uh, God's word is true and trustworthy, that the world doesn't see that and those who speak for God. And so, I know that, and when I come to this text, I mean, we're, I'm, I'm going to try and convince you that this is true, and this is uh, helpful, 
And it is a reminder that as we come, right, when you go to the doctor, you don't want a placebo when you're sick, right? You don't, you don't want something that, yeah, may, makes you feel good, uh, it takes away the cough, but on the inside, you're, you're dying more quickly, right? No, you want, a, you want a cure that's true, that's real, that's something that's actually going to fix you. And that's what, that's what Psalm 110 and all the scriptures are, are offering to you. And for us, as we look at this passage, the Apostles' Creed is that cure summarized. It's a summary of the true story of this world, of who God is, what's wrong with you, what he did to fix it through Jesus. That the, that the scriptures are telling you the truth, and it's summarized in the Apostles' Creed, and that's what we're looking at in Psalm 110. And so today, let's, let's look at basic Christianity. Here's, here's the basics of following Jesus. You, take, you believe God's word is true, and it is more trustworthy than anything else uh, in this world. It's certain. Uh, this is here for your assurance. Right? So Psalm 110.4 says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Right? I know there's strange words in there, and we'll talk about them. But just pause for a second. God, this, there's quotes there. You just heard God speak the truth to you right now in that moment. Right? There's two places in Psalm 110 where you hear God speak. We get to overhear a conversation between God the Father and God the Son. And God told Jesus, you are going to be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So you heard God speak. Were you listening? Because <laughs> that's part of what it means to be a Christian, is to hear God's voice to follow him and to keep his commands. All right. So what, what verse 4 is telling you is when the Lord doesn't change his mind, he's not somebody who changes his mind. It's telling you that his words are certain, they are true, they are unchanging, that he will be faithful to keep all of his promises, uh, that he has sworn to not change his mind on this plan. Right. Therefore, no matter how crazy it looks in your life, Trust Him. Trust in the certainty of God's Word, of the certainty of His promise, His oath. Right? And that's, that's why I say that every week, is after we finish the Scriptures, they are true and trustworthy and, and revealed to us in love, which does bring up questions, and I want you to bring your questions. You say, that's true, that's really weird. Come talk to us. We'd love to talk about it. But the purpose is to remind you this is trustworthy. It's pastoral. When life is crazy, you listen to your pastor, but you listen to your pastor who's telling you what's true in the scriptures. Right? You're leaning in on, on who Jesus is. Right? And for, for me, the way this was reinforced, especially when we were in Cortland, this is what my mentor would say after every sermon. Right? I can still hear his voice saying it, that he would, every sermon text would be read and followed with Isaiah 40, that the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Right? There's something certain. And in ever-changing circumstances, flowers falling apart. <laughs> God's word is true. So, with that big idea, right, this is what I want to do, is use Psalm 110, verse 4, to show you we need this kind of rock-solid certainty and assurance. Even if you have questions, we need the, 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 the trust in God's word that he is true and trustworthy. And so, that's what's packed in here. So I've got three points. The first one, or two points, actually. 
I'm mixing it up here. I confuse myself. Two points. God is trustworthy, and then we're going to ask, how do I trust him? So, first thing, God is trustworthy, and that's the first thing you can learn from verse 4. Right? That the Lord has sworn something. He has sworn about Jesus being a high priest. And this is the plan no matter what happens. And so trusting God right, demands that you trust that he will not change his mind. You're trusting his character. You're trusting that he is trustworthy. He is, right, we hear that, that fake news thing thrown around all the time. Right? What sources are you using to trust? And Psalm 110 verse 4 is saying, trust God because of his character. He doesn't change his mind. Right. I mean, how many times have you heard, if your parents, I know you've heard this, <laughs> heard kids say to their parents, but you promised, right? Maybe the plan was to go get ice cream, circumstances changed, way beyond the, ki- beyond the kid's pay grade, and they don't get ice cream and they're just mad, right? And in those moments, our kids are forever scarred and convinced that the world has fallen, Right? They go to bed disappointed and disoriented because we hate that. We want certainty. Our kids want certainty. They want routine, and we're no different. We want, we don't like betrayal. We don't like lies. We want the truth and nothing but the truth. And that's what is being offered to us here in Psalm 110 with a Lord who does not change his mind. That's why we sing and we will feast in the house of Zion. We sing about every vow we have broken and betrayed but you, O Lord, are the faithful one. See, Psalm 110 verse 4 is tapping into this big idea that God is a covenant-keeping God. He is a promise-keeping God, if you're not familiar with covenant language. That he swears by himself because there is no greater thing to swear by as someone who cannot lie. And so, Down here, we have all kinds of swirling circumstances. We have changing relationships. We have illness. We have death. We just have uncertainty. And it's into your chaos, God says. I have spoken this plan. I will not change my mind. Jesus will be your high priest forever. And the implication is trust him. You have to trust him. Right? And we know this in our minds that we need certainty and we need a faithful God, that life is unbearable without some kind of certain thing and some kind of trustworthy anchor for your soul because we know things change. Every day is something new and surprising. I mean, what do you have in your life that you're absolutely certain of? For Benjamin Franklin, it was death and taxes. But really, I mean, that you're rock solid will be sure, well, nothing will change the next day. In the midst of that, we have God who says, I will not change my mind. You can trust me. Here's what I want to do is I want to take that idea, God is trustworthy, and follow the footnote in your Bible from 110 verse 4. And it takes you to Hebrews chapter 6. So if you have footnotes in your Bible, it's that little letter down at the bottom of your Bible and even smaller (laughs) smaller letters. It says, This was referred to in Hebrews chapter 6. So turn to Hebrews chapter 6. And we're going to camp out here for a while. (coughs) Because Hebrews chapter 6 is a sermon on this verse. Hebrews 
All right, I'm going to read verses uh, 12 to 20 here, and then we'll, we'll talk about what do you do with this trustworthy God? What are we being given and offered? Verse 11, actually. It says, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnest to have the full assurance of hope until the end. And so this is going to be for your assurance. So that you may not be sluggish, but be imitators of those who faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. And here's, here's what we're going to look, focus on. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Next week we'll talk more about Melchizedek, but I want to focus on that sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Right? The fact that God planned this to send you Jesus uh, to bring you into heaven. Right? And if you've ever been out in the water on a boat, you know this is how anchors work. Right? The water is always moving and the anchor is there to keep you still. And I have a, One of my memories of being out in a boat was, um, was in a wooden sailboat off the, the western coast of Madagascar. We paid a guy not enough money to go fishing. It was really cheap. We found out when he gave us the fishing gear, it was just a stick with a bunch of string on it. Um, it isn't going to be helpful if you catch anything bigger than this. But at some point, while we were minding our own business about, an, I don't know how far out, it was pretty far. You couldn't see the bottom of the ocean. That was the whole point. He, he, our guide thought he saw a shark. Right? And so he, all of a sudden, he had a harpoon. Who knew? He pulled that out of nowhere. And in those moments, like all of us are realizing we're in a really tiny boat, <laughs> far away, out in a world that we are unfamiliar with, sitting on top of a whole other realm full of dangers and who knows what else. Right? And what it does is just reinforces the idea that when you're in the water, there is a whole realm, a whole other world that is underneath you to keep you safe and secure in a boat amidst everything that's moving. Because right? that's what an anchor does. It goes down into another world, into another realm, to, to lock itself on, on the bottom so that no matter what happens above the water, you're being protected and cared for underneath. Right? Everything else is swirling, you stay still. And so what the, the writer of the Hebrews is saying about Jesus, and especially God's word, is that God's oath, his promise, his covenant, whatever word you want to use, it's a, it's a sure anchor. It's an anchor for your soul. It's holding on to you. Right? You have this sure anchor that went down into, well, or up into heaven, holding on to you. And this is what everyone is looking for, especially in hard times, when things are difficult, because we know life is constantly changing. We're looking for anchors. We're looking for certainty. We're looking for something you can trust. 
And of course, reality shows us that most of the time we put our trust in something like grass that withers or flowers that fade away. Right? I mean, just, I don't know what you've been putting your trust in, but, but consider this. Imagine putting your, your anchor, the anchor of your life, the anchor of your soul, into a career. Right? I mean, young adults these days, just finding a career is disorienting and difficult. Like you're a boat drifting aimlessly out to sea where you're not sure where the destination is. Um, and after college, you're just basically left alone because you, you lose your friend structure, you lose your whole certainty, right? You just go up and go to class. You knew what you were doing the next day. And, and then you add job security to it in our, in our day and age, right? Making your career as an anchor for your soul is going to be like attaching yourself to a blade of grass, saying, keep me safe in this storm. Because it's going to change one way or another. Eventually, you're going to get, get old and, and, and retire by choice or not. Right, so everything's changing. That's the point. Or maybe you put your, your anchor, the anchor for your soul is, your, is, is a romance, a relationship of some sort. Someone you always want to be there, to be your rock, to love, love you and wake up for you every single day. Say, be my anchor. Right. Any young adult will tell you. Well, I mean, I heard it from a young female. I don't have any f female friends who have not been cheated on. Because vows, oaths, commitments, they're uncertain. Because people are uncertain. We need an anchor for our soul. We need something sure. We need something solid to hold on to us while everything is swirling around. That's why Augustine, right, he's somebody who, part of, part of my conversion story is reading St. Augustine's Confessions, so that's why I bring him up a lot. But Augustine, when he was a young adult, Back in the day when everything was wonderful in the 400s <laughs> A.D., right? he talks like us. He tried it all. He had girlfriends. Uh, he had shallow relationships. He tried to be the smartest person in the room. He, he hitched his anchor to his career, and he traveled from Africa into Europe and back into Italy. He was a restless soul. And that's why he says in his confessions, there's no rest no assurance where you're looking for it. Look for what you're looking for, but it's not there where you're looking. <laughs> you're seeking a happy life in the land of death. It's not there. How can there be a happy life where there isn't even life? Right. And here, Here's what Augustine's saying. The problem of finding an anchor is everything leaves, everything fades. It's, we live in a land of death. It's in that that we get the sure promise of Psalm 110, verse 4. A sure and certain steadfast anchor for your soul, something that won't change. Jesus is a high priest forever. And that word forever is going right after the problem of death. The writer of the Hebrews is going to talk about that later, and we'll, we'll, we'll get there. But death really is the problem of certainty. Right? We're created for forever. You are immortal. And the reason you want a permanent anchor, something to trust, something to lean on, a God who is trustworthy, is because that's what you were designed for. Except death is the ultimate interrupter, the ruiner of peace and joy. It is the enemy. And, and so we, 
we have this promise, this sure promise from God that his plan back in Psalm 110 was to deal with the problem of death by sending you a high priest forever, someone who will never leave you, someone who will never forsake you, even until the end of this age. Someone who will represent you in another realm in heaven itself. We need an anchor for our souls. It's Hebrews 6.19. Jesus is the steadfast, right? It's solid. Anchor of your soul who is a high priest forever, who has gone ahead of you into another realm, and you are attached to him by faith. And that's the certainty in which we rest. Another person. So think about it like this. If you're David, here's what God was telling him. God told him that the, the Messiah was going to be a priest forever, and David's experience is that priests always die. Right? They're always, the Levitical priests, they were making sacrifices every day, and then when the high priest would come, it would be a once-a-year thing, but priests never, die, never lived forever. They were always, it was always a changing person in that role. And so to have, say you're going to have a priest forever means the Messiah is going to have to defeat death. It's the ultimate enemy. It's, it's mind-blowing. That one word, Psalm 110.4, God promised David, Jesus will come to earth, defeat death, come through the other side, and Hebrews says that is what will be the anchor for your soul, something to rely on. Right. So imagine it this way. The anchor for your soul is what, this is what Jesus does for every Christian. It's like, like Jesus took the, the rope connected to the anchor, right, because he is the anchor, and, it, and he tied you to it. And then he dove down into the waters of death on the cross to drown in the wrath of God for you, for your sins. And still attached to you, he raised up. And still attached to you, he ascended into heaven, and now he sits at the right hand of God, still attached to you. And as a, because he's a priest, right? A priest represents you in heaven. And so the picture of the Psalm 110.4 is that somebody is going to sit in God's presence at God's right hand and represent sinful, dying human beings and give them something secure, something safe, an anchor for their soul. Not even death can take away that certainty. That's the hope of the resurrection. All that's promised in one verse. <laughs> it happened because God is trustworthy. And that's, that's really what I want to focus your mind on. Look at the God who would promise that and follow through on it and not change his mind, even after he got to know us. <laughs> All right? I mean, you have to trust God. There is no other. You have to trust a God who is trustworthy. There's no other option other than to trust you. You can trust your own decision-making and your own promise-keeping skills, fully aware that your motivations change, and, and they're like the tide. They go in, they go out. You don't always know what you're doing. Or you can rest in a God who is true and trustworthy, who has said, I have sworn and I will not change my mind. Trust my plan for your life. I'm the anchor for your soul. Right. So look at this again. Psalm 110, there are just let this blow your mind. You get to listen in on a conversation between God the Father and God the Son. Two trustworthy statements where God tells Jesus the Son, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. You're going to be king. You're going to stomp out evil. We've, we spent a couple weeks on that. 
You're listening to God speak. And then verse 4, you will be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, where God says to the Son again, to the Messiah, Jesus, this will happen. You're going to represent my people forever. You're going to overcome death. Jesus would have read this, this promise, and known it was about him. See, the good news of Psalm 110, the good news of the gospel, is that it is a sure word that stands forever. An anchor for your soul that takes you into the very presence of God through what Jesus has done for you. And so you have to trust him. All All that came true a thousand years later. The only way to survive in this world is to have something sure and solid. And here it says it's Jesus the one who went before you, which we'll talk about in a moment. So, do you believe that? I mean, how, what is, how do you see God? Do you see him as someone who changes their mind? I mean, I, <laughs> I remember listening to a sermon where the whole, point of the, past, the whole point of the passage and the text was God does not change his mind. And then afterwards, somebody was asked, does God change his mind? Yeah, I think he does. This is God saying, I don't change my mind. <laughs> That's how trustworthy he is. Right? He said, I'm not going to change. So how do we become a people that trust someone like that? How do you? Because I know this is the battle every day. How do I wake up in the morning and trust someone who says they won't change their mind, even though my circumstances sometimes make me question? Right? And so what you're supposed to look at is his oath and at his character. Psalm 110.4 says, The Lord has sworn. I'm going to do some Bible theology here. If you're reading this for the first time, you say, okay, the Lord has sworn. Who and where did he swear? David knew, and so did the writer of the Hebrews. He swore to Abraham. Who did the Lord swear to and took an oath by himself? It was Abraham in Genesis chapter 22. Abraham is the prime example of how you trust God. He's a man of faith. The one who let God's sure and unchanging word be an anchor for his soul, even when he didn't know how the, how the circumstances were going to end up. So listen to Genesis 22. This might be a, a, a newer story for you. It's more familiar. But in Genesis 22, verse 13, it says, When God made a promise to Abraham... Oh, I'm looking at Hebrews 6, sorry. Hebrews 6. When God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to, by whom to swear, he swore by himself saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. So here's here's the point. God swore by himself to keep his promise, to not change his mind, after the whole Isaac on top of the mountain incident. After Abraham was, who finally had a son, and was told to take him up to the mountain, and sacrifice them for your sin. Right? Because that's the story, right? Abraham has a son. He takes Isaac up in his old age. It was a miracle. It was a promise of grace. And then as a test, God says, Abraham, I want to take your only son, your son whom you love, up a mountain to sacrifice him. And Abraham heard very clearly, I am a sinner. God's calling in his chips. I owe him. And I don't know how he's going to fix this, but I know God is faithful and he doesn't change his mind. And he's made a promise to bless me through my children. So Abraham goes by faith, assuming that God will raise Isaac from the dead if need be. 
And that's what the writer of the Hebrews will say. But on the whole way up, there's no evidence. Isaac, Papa, where's the lamb? The Lord will provide the lamb for the sacrifice, my son. Dad, where's the lamb? The Lord will provide. That was Abraham's conversation with his, with his son. And Isaac, trusting his father, was willing to be the sacrifice to the point of laying down. And, you know, of course, it's dramatized, but we know Abraham's ready to actually do the deed when the Lord interrupts him and says, Stop. Abraham, now I know that you love me, seeing that you did not withhold your only son from me. And then a ram's in the thicket. Isaac is saved. There's substitutionary atonement. And that whole place is named, the Lord will provide. And of course, often this <coughs> passage is taught How do you become a person who will trust God in such extreme circumstances, right? To become a man of faith, to give up something, to change, to live by faith, even though it looks awful. But it's after those events that God says to Abraham, I have sworn by myself, because you have done this and not withhold your only son, I'm going to bless you, multiply your offspring, and your offspring will possess the gates of his enemies, and in your offspring all the nations will be blessed. See, what Abraham trusted, and this is what he did, he didn't look at himself, he didn't look at his circumstances, he looked at the God who swore an oath beforehand. He knew God's character, because he'd walked with him for a long time. Right? And well, how did God swear an oath? He swore by something greater. Well, how does God swear by something greater? You can't say, I, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and so help me, me, Right? He appeals to higher authority, which is himself. He's true, he cannot lie, he's faithful, he's trustworthy, he says, I will do this. And so if you're going to become a person of faith, someone who trusts God's unchanging word, you're looking at God's person, and you're also looking at his purpose, his oath, that he's fully committed. See, where Abraham got his faith from, is, is he had a visual aid. You remember the visual aid from Genesis 15? When God made a promise by himself. God didn't just swear by himself. He also gave Abraham a visual aid. Where they made a partnership, a covenant. And they took an oath. And they were supposed to walk through together to make a deal. Where Abraham said, I will be blameless. I'll, I'll live a life of faith. I will live up to your standards. As long as you can live up to your, your promise, God, that you'll give me a son and you'll bless me and you'll do everything that you said. Right? And so they take animals, they cut them in half, and when the time comes to make the deal, right, and the, the whole point of the deal was if whoever doesn't keep their end of the bargain, may you be chopped into bits like these animals and die. God alone walked through the pieces. Abraham was sleeping. And so just, this is what God is telling Abraham. You cannot be faithful. I'm going to be faithful for you. I will not change my mind. And if I do change my mind, may I die. And if I don't change my mind, may I be cut up into these pieces. God bound himself to Abraham in that moment where he is saying, I swear upon pain of my own death, I will give you a child and I will keep my promise. And you, mortal Abraham, I will also keep your end of the deal too. I am faithful I will be faithful for you. I mean, that's amazing. This is, what Abra- this, was, this is how Abraham's faith was built. He saw the promise. 
He saw the oath. He saw the plan. But he's looking at God the whole time. He saw the infinite swear to become finite. He saw the eternal one promise to come down into time to give up his life. He saw the creator here in some form. I don't know what Abraham understood, but he saw a creator promising to become part of the creation and then to bleed for it. He saw God, the forever blessed God, swear to be cursed so that those who are cursed by sin might be blessed. All this is packed into Genesis 15. And what's Abraham's response to this astounding promise? He immediately goes out and blows it like any of us would. <laughs> Genesis 16, he goes out and he gets his servant pregnant and has Ishmael and that causes all kinds of problems. Isaac is promised and Abraham's, yeah, but I'm old. And his wife laughs. Right? It took decades for Abraham to figure out faith, to get to that point where he said, yeah, I'll give you my son, my only son whom I love. And that's the point, is we need an anchor for our souls because even the command to be faithful as God is faithful, we can't live up to it. To be faithful, you have to look at the one who is faithful. That's how Abraham got there. It slowly shaped him and formed him into a person who was committed to his father, to his God. Right? As God was, well, just a smidgen, right? just a small piece of how committed God is to him. So how do you trust him? Don't look at yourself. That's the whole point of this. You need a short anchor for your soul, his oath, his covenant. When you read Psalm 110 and you hear the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you need the Abraham story ringing in your ears. And that's what Hebrews is getting your attention, pointing your attention to. To trust God in the midst of changing circumstances as a follower of Jesus, you, you have to look at the God who is faithful. And what do you look at? What visual aid do we have that Abraham and David did not? Jesus. Jesus who did not change his mind. The blessed God who became human like us to become a curse like us, for us so that we cursed by sin and death may be blessed with the certainty of everlasting life to have an anchor for our souls in heaven. You're called to look at Jesus who blazed a trail who went ahead of you. A trail of perfection with his perfect life. A trail right through death itself with his perfect death. And a trail that leads right into heaven, into God's presence, back into the temple with his resurrection and ascension. And that's the one who has bound himself to you with his promise that is sure and certain. Right? Jesus is the forerunner of your faith. Look at him. You know, that word in, in Hebrews 6.20, this is that we're going to bring it to an end here. Is a, is a unique word, it's prodromos, my, my Greek, yeah, there you go. It's a Greek word that basically means forerunner. And in the ancient world, it was picturesque. It, was, it painted a picture. If they heard forerunner, they had ideas in mind. Of, in, in the harbor in, it was a, it's, a, it's a boat picture. The harbor in Alexandria was very difficult to get through, so whenever these massive ships would come in to dock at harbor, they'd have to send a forerunner ship ahead of time to make sure it was safe. Right, to call out where's the, the shallow spots. And if there's a storm, then the forerunner would go ahead with the anchor and set the anchor down before the sandbar so that the ship didn't get destroyed. Right. 
The pilot boat was called the forerunner that went ahead in order to keep the bigger ship safe. Right. It was also used in, in the military. A forerunner was a scout. They would go and, and make sure the trail was safe for everyone else to come. Right. And so what it's illustrating about Jesus, it's pretty simple. He goes first to make it safe for you. That he blazed the way to heaven and back into God's presence so that we might follow in his footsteps because we have an anchor sitting there in heaven holding on to us. You're still connected. Keep that picture in your head of everybody here has an anchor, a rope connected to Jesus, the anchor. But what's holding you fast is not your faith. It's, it's him holding on to you. Right. So, conclusion. God is trustworthy. He speaks a trustworthy word. He has sworn he will not change his mind. And, and to trust him, you have to look at Jesus. I know the first instinct when you're in the storm is to look at the waves or to look at yourself. But you have to look at the anchor for your soul. Pastor Samuel Rutherford said this beautifully. Because when it talks about hope, this is certainty. It's not a I wishful thinking. He says, our hope is not hung upon an untwisted thread, right? Like just a twine. It's not, it's not hung on an untwisted thread like I imagine it'll happen. It's possible. No, the cable, the strong rope of our fastened anchor is the oath and promise of God who is eternally true. Our salva salvation is fastened with God's own hand to the, attached to the strong stake of God's unchangeable nature. I mean, he crammed a lot in that, that little paragraph. It's saying, it all depends on God, not on you. <laughs> that security, that confidence of a God who is that faithful, that'll make you a faithful person if you trust him. So when you look into the murk, even when you're looking into the murky abyss of death, look at the fact that there is a threefold cord holding on to you, even as you breathe your last. It's the unchanging will of God your Father. It's Jesus the Son who didn't change his mind even on the death on a cross. And the Spirit who connects you to Jesus by faith, who assures you that you are in him. He's, the Spirit is the cord that connects you to Jesus, your anchor for your soul. You're held on to. Second, and this is how do you become someone who's trustworthy? We have to learn to listen to God's promises. And this is really basic, but, but it needs to be said out loud. If We're always leaning into what we think is certain and trustworthy. Right? But if there's only one certain and trustworthy place for our souls, God's promise and it's God's character, we have to be intentional to listen to God's promises, connect them to the person of Jesus, and hear Paul say, all of God's promises are yes in Jesus. Right? It's making time intentionally to either be in community. If you're not a great reader, great. Be in community and we'll read out loud together. <laughs> right? It's just making time to have God's word starting to shape how you see, how you think, to, to get something true and trustworthy attaching itself to your heart. Because otherwise, you're going to feel like you're adrift to sea, figuring this out on your own. Right? And that I'm saying this, but, and this is the, the argument of Hebrews. The argument of Hebrews is written to suffering people, families who have been torn apart because they put in their faith in Jesus. They've lost jobs, parents, friends, family, homes. And in all of that, the book of Hebrews starts by saying, we have 
a final word from God spoken to us, and his name is Jesus. And listen to him. Right. <coughs> so, go and learn what we sing over and over again, that when darkness veils God's lovely face, rest on his unchanging grace in every high and stormy gale. My anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood are what support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, Jesus then is all my hope and stay. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would make us a people who are true and trustworthy like Jesus, who is the true and trustworthy anchor for our soul. I know there are those of us, we're all uh, storm-tossed in some particular way. Uh, Give them eyes to see how you are holding on to them. And for those who are trying to determine how to follow Jesus and figure out who Jesus is, show them the good news of the gospel, which is your word spoken to us, which stands forever. So may we as a church grow in our ability to rest on your unchanging grace, assured of your love for us in Christ Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.